So you familiar with the Washington Redskins yes. thing? Yeah. So what they're wanting to do is to change the name because so many people are hurt or offended by Obama that every time you mention the word Washington, they are embarrassed. So they want to change the name from Washington to something else. Is yes. that how you understand? That's how I understand it. Exactly. <laughs> that is exactly how I understand it. And so they want to call the Redskins, you know, the Baltimore Redskins right. or because Washington has become such an embarrassment. All right. And then there's another whole group of people who don't care for the name Redskins. Right. And so it's like, it doesn't matter how you cut it. They probably right. just need to get rid of the football team. What's your perspective on the Washington Redskins? Now, that's an offense to certain people. To certain people, to some. Now, but, I mean, within the Native American, am I to say Indian or Native American? Well, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm in a bit of a, a, a quandary here because not being Native American myself or Indian, um, you know, I don't know how to respond to that, but see, there we go again. Well, now you're talking about how I feel about saying black or African. Well, exactly right. Exactly right. You can call me a cracker, by the so, way. Well, okay. Can I call you what? Honky is honky okay? Honky. Uh, honky? I, I don't. I don't even know what that <laughs> means. Okay, so you're right. So I asked you about being Negro, colored, black, African American. All right. So I used to be white. Right. Uh, now, when did it change for you? <laughs> It, well, it changed with it, it changed with name calling, uh -huh. uh, probably in the '60s. Uh -huh. We became crackers, which actually I kind of like because I like crackers. <laughs> <laughs> and so I kind of took that as a compliment. Uh -huh. And then honky, honestly, now some of our listeners who are probably 40 or under may have never heard that term yeah, before, yeah. so we may need to explain yeah. ourselves. Or maybe even cracker, because yeah. if I say cracker, they're thinking about saltines, which is actually, I think, how it was derived. Now, where I'm from is cracker. Okay. <laughs> cracker. Oh, that's right. Yeah, cracker. Cra yeah, cracker. Yeah. I'm being too polished, which nobody's ever said that about me before, but... So I used to be white, and then I went to Cracker and Honky, and I'm not sure of the order there. Mm. And then I became white again uh -huh. because Cracker and Honky. But, you know, all right, so this brings up the N-word, which I can't say. You've already said it. But black people use that right. within their own yes. culture, but a white guy would never. White guy can never use that word. No, that's impossible. Never. That's off limits. And I can see, you know, these are like things I've never thought about before. Mm -hmm. But white people, I can see white people calling themselves yeah. crack, right. crackers, crackers and honkies, mm -hmm. but being offended if somebody outside. Okay, right. so that's sort of like, you know, brothers and sisters, can, siblings can fight, yep. but nobody else but is nobody going to Bingo. You're not going to touch my sister. Mm -hmm. And uh, I may thump her on the head, but you're not going to mess with my sister. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's get back to Washington Redskins. You're in a quandary. Yeah. What's the quandary? Well, the quandary is, um, you know, I, 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 it's, it's like the question you just posed a second ago. You know, which is the proper name to use, Native American or Indian? You know, that is the exact same quandary that uh, that you white people find themselves in as it relates to uh, black people. You know, well, what do I call you guys? Are you, are you black or are you African-American? And let me say this. I think with respect to the Washington Redskins issue, this is, this is uh, again, this is Daryl Harrison's uh, viewpoint on this. I don't separate the Washington Redskins issue from the LBGT or the gay uh, issue. With respect to the Redskins issue, you have the exact same um, dynamics as the gay uh, lobby 
agenda in that you have a small but vocal, powerful minority giving the impression that the name Redskins is actually offensive to more people than it actually is. So you have the, 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 the folks with the mega horns and the bull horns and the platforms are exponentially smaller yet perhaps even exponentially more powerful and have more access to financial resources, media resources, political resources than those who are not offended by the Redskins name. I think the Washington Redskins have been around since the 1930s. I may be wrong around that date, but it's a 30s, 40s era uh, team. So, So if indeed their genesis is around the 1930s, that means they have owned that name. They have been referred to as the Redskins for over 80 years. And you mean to tell me that now all of a sudden that name is just destroying lives and uh, deconstructing people's self-esteem now all of a sudden? No way. Um, The Washington Redskins as an organization is probably one of the most revered uh, entities in America, not just sports. Uh, There was a time where the Washington Redskins was uh, directly connected to apple pie and any other type of Americana uh, that you can come up with. It seems to me, and this is my opinion, my perspective on this, is that over the past 20 years, we have come to this idea of, the idea is that I'm offended. And so becoming offended has become a thing. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know how that happened. I don't know where the genesis of that was. I mean, what the tipping point was, the genesis obviously is in our Adamic hearts, but but on a a chronology level, I, I don't, on a scale, I don't know where it happened or how it happened or what season of life and maybe it was the 60s mm. when we were fighting for rights or when the blacks were fighting for rights and so forth I, I don't know but it but being offended has become a thing and and if you want to get something then the way that you get it is to be offended right. because the one thing that you can't be is offended and it, it seems to me because of being offended has become a thing that all you have to do is to pick or choose or contrive the offense. Mm -hmm. And because being offended is the thing, all you need is an offense, whether Mm -hmm. it's real or not. And so this might not be received well, but it's almost like being opportunistic. Right. Because the the gay community and the black community are probably the primary drivers in our culture of being offended. And they are the ones that have, they've driven the, the name change because they're working for agenda. And this is where... This is where I'm going in this, what I'm saying. It, it seems like it's agenda-driven. Right. There's something that they want that transcends being respected. Like it's more than, it's, there has to be more to it than just respect, because that's not how you get respect. Like, our culture that, does, that rejects God does not teach being respected by slapping a name on something. Right. Being respected is ontological. Uh, it's who you are as mm-hmm. a person. It's how you, it's your deportment. It's how you carry yourself. Or as we said in our culture, if you want to be respected, be respectful. Right. They know that, and 
so it, it's really s- smoke and mirrors. It's not about respect. It's about something else. And so of, being offended has become the thing. And so you figure out what I want to say I'm offended about, and then that has to be changed. But even when it's changed, that doesn't change anything per se. There seems to be something else underneath that. What would you say the real agenda to all of this noise that's made about all these offend these people being offended? What are, what are they really after? Well, first of all, let me say, Rick, that I do agree that there is an agenda uh, underlying uh, all of this. I believe the whole respect issue is just a ruse. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, again, I go back to my comment earlier, taking, for example, the ridiculously absurd murder rate in Chicago as we speak. I'm not referencing historical data. I'm talking about in 2015, the black on black murder rate in Chicago. Uh, how can we as black people complain that we're not being respected by someone like yourself who is white when we don't even respect one another. So it cannot on that basis be a respect issue. It cannot be. Uh, We don't even respect one another. And yet what we try to do, we'll rub, we'll, 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 we'll sweep under the rug the issues that we know exist in our own black neighborhoods and in our own urban areas, in our own black communities. We'll sweep those under the rug and pretend that they don't exist and I guess search for um, appeasement and uh, uh, valuation outside of that. So we make white people try to feel guilty for not respecting us. Uh, But it's never been a respect issue. It's always been a politically driven agenda where respect is defined in terms of reparations, uh, giving us what you owe us as a nation. Um, You guys promised us 40 acres and a mule back in 1864. We haven't seen any of that. Uh, You guys have been treating us wrong uh, since the uh, first slaves landed in Jamestown back in 1620. You guys owe us over 400 years of respect. Now, it can't be about respect when you're talking about centuries worth of IOUs that many black people feel America owes them. This isn't about respect. This is about restitution. This is about reparations. This is about not making me feel angry at you for something that you neither you did nor I experienced. And, and let me let me just hit on that for a second. We we have a generation of black people out here right now complaining about the uh uh the downstream effects, the generational effects of slavery as if they themselves experienced slavery and as if someone like you Rick actually enslaved them. I've never worn shackles on my ankles. And let me say this also. I have, in my personal library, I probably have more books on slavery than any other topic outside of the subject of theology. I have more slave narratives, uh, books on slave narratives on my iPad and in my personal library 
than any other subject outside of theology. So though I come from perhaps a, a conservative paradigm on, on this, theologically speaking, I have very much an appreciation for what my ancestors and the ancestors of millions of other blacks experienced at the hands of white people in this nation. So I don't want anyone to get it twisted in that regard, but that still doesn't belie the fact that there is no one, no black person living in America today who has been forced to wear shackles on their ankles or on their wrists or who has been forced to, 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 to march barefoot in the snow seven, eight hundred, nine hundred miles because they've been sold for the fifth time. So this is this this is not a matter of respect. This boils down to again a theological matter whereby it's not enough for me to accept that I've been created in the image of God and however else somebody identifies me is irrelevant. I just can't accept it. We people just don't want to accept that. If you were talking to a, or had the opportunity, you know, over a 12-month period of time or a couple of years or whatever to disciple a 10-year-old kid, a 12-year-old black kid, what would you, what would be some of the bullet points that you would want to communicate or inculcate into this child's mind? I think number one again. About these issues. Yeah, I think number one again, I would reiterate the Imago Day that this 10-year-old child is created in the image of God by God himself. And that this God who created him or her in his image sovereignly placed that him or her into a sinful world, a world surrounded by sinners that is going to be forever reflecting the effects of sin. And that as a result, these people, these fellow sinners of which this 10 year old is also one is is going to sin against him. They are going to sin against him. And when they sin against him, he should not be surprised by that. And that when they sin against him, it doesn't diminish one iota who he is as it relates to the Imago Dei. It doesn't break him down one mm -hmm. iota in that regard. If I was discipling a 12-year-old white boy in poverty, uh, that's, what I would, that's what I would teach him too. Mm -hmm. uh, I would not tell him or teach him that the solution to his problem is that there needs to be a, a global redistribution of wealth so that everybody has $50,000 and that is going to make him happy. Mm -hmm. uh, or w whatever it is that is determined at that time that makes you happy, that we're all created, that we're all treated equally and you're going to be happy. That That's like painting over a stain. It's going to bleed through. And so if I call you African-American or if I give you 40 acres and a mule or if I give the white kid whatever it is that he wants, it's not going to change. It's not going to transform him. Mm -hmm. He's still going to be self-centered, self-focused, discontented, insatiable as far as what he wants or, or craves. Yeah. So I, I would I would disciple a twelve-year-old boy in poverty, regardless of his skin color, mm -hmm. that his primary need is Christ. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that there's we're being guilt-tripped. There's an agenda, and it is a means to gain a monetary gain. Some of it is monetary gain. There's there's definitely an aspect of this this mindset uh, that has its sights set on reparations uh, as a solution to to 
to to making everything right between us, between blacks and white. Reparations is the answer. There's definitely the, the, the a, a component of that mindset that sees it that way. All right. So Native American or Indian? Wow. For me personally, Indian. I, I will apply the same logic as I do to black versus African American. And if you were talking to an Indian kid who's offended by the Washington Redskins? Um, I would say to that Indian kid, you shouldn't be offended by a label uh, such as Redskins, knowing that, um, again, the label uh, was invented by sinners, uh, but that you are created in the image of God and God loves you unconditionally. Um, and, And when you go to meet that God one day, he is not going to identify you uh, by some hyphenated label. I think that's important. I was thinking about the ugly child, and I and I don't know what ugly is. I mean, that's, that's uh, definitely a subjective, arbitrary term, but in our culture, beauty is everything, and beauty is defined, you know, 500 years ago, beauty was uh, a beautiful woman, was a very large woman, uh, as you see in some of the, the, the paintings, but beauty today is the tall, slender woman, so uh, ugly and beauty is a, a moving target. But our culture today is eaten up with beauty and wanting to be beautiful. And so if you have the so-called ugly girl, again, whatever that may be, what she needs to know is that, I mean, for her happiness would be to be in the position to where she could change herself, modify herself into whatever it is that beauty is, and that's happiness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the sweet spot for mm-hmm. her. Now, when she gets there, she will realize that she's not happy, mm-hmm. she's still discontented. Mm-hmm. And so if you're talking to the ugly girl, you're talking to the Indian, you're talking to the impoverished white boy, or you're talking to the black kid, they all need the same message, Mm -hmm. that you are of inestimable worth because you were made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And what I would tell, let me use the word unattractive because I don't want to be offensive Mm -hmm. because there's so many words. I mean, it's a minefield. Our language is a minefield today. And you really have to keep up with it, or you're going to offend somebody. And so I'll go with unattractive. I would want to tell her that God made her a unique, special way. She's Mm -hmm. unique the way that she is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like... It's like my children. I have one child who just excels, you know, when it comes to uh, literature, grammar, English, mm-hmm. those writing, those kinds of things. I mean, it's her thing. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to math, mm-hmm. let's just say math doesn't come easy. And then my son, on the other hand, math just kind of snaps. I mean, it just it, it works in his mind. Mm-hmm. That is the way God made him. Mm-hmm. That's the way God made her. She shouldn't be looking over the fence, you know, thinking that there's something wrong with me because it's not about English or math. Mm -hmm. It's not about black or white or redskins. Mm -hmm. It's about who you are. Mm -hmm. As you said, originally made in the image of God. To me, you know, if it was the Washington crackers, the the Washington Caucasians, uh, if it was the Washington Caucasians, I don't know. I mean, it's like, well, praise God for white people. Indeed. Praise God for white people. Or, or the Washington blacks, the Washington whites, the Washington mm-hmm. Redskins. Mm-hmm. It's like, praise God they have a team, you know, that uh, speaks to the uniqueness of our pigmentation. Mm-hmm. But somehow that's been flipped. Right. 
and we're all offended. All right, Daryl, I'm speaking with Daryl Harrison, by the way. Daryl is from uh, Covington, Georgia. Uh, He's been a believer since uh, he's 26 years old, about that age. He is now 56, so he's been walking with the Lord for 30 years. He has been trained at Princeton Theological Seminary. He's under training at Liberty University in counseling, and we're talking about race-related issues. Now, so Daryl, you're from Georgia. From Atlanta to ATL. In South Carolina, there has been this piece of cloth that has been waving at our Capitol building that we call the Confederate flag. What's your, when I mention the Confederate flag to you, what are the first couple of things that pop into your mind? Man, I think the first, the first thing that comes into my mind is, hey, it's a piece of cloth. Okay, it's a flag. I mean, it's a flag. I mean, okay. I mean, that's about it. Rick. <laughs> well, that was articulate. That's, that's about it. That's the first thing that comes into my Why mind. Why does that flag not offend you? I'm assuming what you're saying is you're not necessarily. Well, I'm not offended by the flag at all. I'm not offended by any flag. Matter of fact, uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm a I'm a student of history, and I have a great great interest in the Civil War. Uh, the, the matter of fact, I'll, I'll be even more specific. The period from. 1860 through the 1960s that takes you from the civil war to the to the civil rights era the the confederate flag doesn't offend me for the same reasons no inanimate object offends me it's an inanimate object it has no inherent emotions it has no inherent feelings it has no inherent attitude and to the extent that it has uh that it is representative of racial hatred, uh, derogatory uh, perceptions, and things of that nature. Those are attitudes that are only imparted to that inanimate object. It is not the object itself that has the problem. All right, so the late esteemed theologian Cornelius Van Til taught presuppositional apologetics, and that means a lot of things, but one of the things that he taught was that there are no neutral or brute facts. There are no neutral or brute facts. That facts are are interpreted. There's an interpretive grid that stands between the individual and the fact, and we look through that interpretive grid, which makes that fact not neutral any longer, meaning that nobody can enter into the text, a text of Scripture, objectively. Only God is objective. And so even when we enter into a text of Scripture, we are uploading that Scripture according to our presuppositions. I I tell the story years ago when my daughter uh, was in my arms, or young enough to be in my arms, I pulled into a, a restaurant in town, and she began to yell from the back seat, a clue, a clue. And she was talking about blues clues. Uh, which is an old TV show where this cartoon dog would leave his paw print all over the whatever, and it was a blue paw print. And she saw a, what she saw was a Clemson paw print. uh, And by seeing the Clemson paw print, she was 
yelling, a clue, a clue. Mm -hmm. There were several things interesting about that. First of all, it was orange, Mm -hmm. but it it was irrelevant that Mm -hmm. it was orange Mm -hmm. because there's only one paw print in the universe and it's blue. Mm -hmm. It's blue's clues. And so even though it was an orange paw print, it was blue, Mm -hmm. blue's clues. Now, that's what Van Til taught. Now, the other point about that is I was thanking God that she didn't know what a Clemson paw print was. <laughs> it's one of my missions in life to make sure she has no affinity to Clemson University uh, in any way, shape, or form. I'm a North Carolina boy, and uh, there's only one Carolina, and it's in Chapel Hill. And when you mentioned earlier, wasn't it Chapel Hill Church you were talking about? It was Chapel Hill Missionary Baptist Church. Yeah, and I'm thinking, why would you ever leave Chapel Hill? It's like, that's, I mean, there's a reason that God's God's sky is Carolina blue. <laughs> uh, but we digress. She, It was blue's clues, even though it was orange. And so now we have people looking at a flag. You're saying the flag is neutral. On one hand, that is correct. From a presuppositional perspective, it's not neutral. People have now uploaded an entire worldview Uh that gives an interpretation to that flag that, of course, they find offensive. And so where do you go with that? Well, I think you go with that where you go with everything else. Uh, You know, you have to go to to God's word. Uh, uh, And and, and how do we how do we deal with those uh, those representations and those presuppositions of you know, again, uh, you know, the, the Confederate flag has been lowered uh, in many places since all that brouhaha from a few months ago. So a lot of people who uh, supported and backed and advanced uh, that agenda uh, have gotten what they wanted. But the question is now, what evidence is there that removing the flag made any difference whatsoever in changing a single mind. You say they got what they wanted, I mean, beyond the fact that the flag was lowered or or removed. What did they get? I mean, what did they really get besides the flag was removed? That's exactly my point. Uh, They want the flag... You talk about presuppositions. One of the presuppositions was that in removing the flag... That number one, that removing that the flag itself again possessed uh, animate uh, qualities that only animate objects can possess. So that was one presupposition that was a huge mistake. So given that presupposition, they felt that removing that flag would eliminate the presuppositional. Um, uh, perspective that they had imparted onto the flag. So it was as if the flag itself not only represented hate, but that the flag could actually hate. So again, by removing the flag, all they got was the removal of the flag. As if removing the flag can change a person's heart. And that wraps up podcast number two, part number two in my Long interview with Daryl Harrison. If you want to listen to all three parts of this 90-minute interview, you can go to our website, rickthomas.net. The title of the article where these three 30-minute podcasts are located is A White Guy and Black Guy Talk About Racial Issues. Coming up in part three, the last 30-minute segment, 
I have two more questions for Daryl. They are, what frustrates you about white people? And then the last question is, what about theologians speaking on racial issues? As you probably heard in this podcast, Daryl mentioned 2015 and the killings, the murders that had been going on in Chicago. That is when I interviewed uh, Daryl in 2015. He came to our home. He spent a day with us, a day and a night, and we sat down and I asked him these important questions and got to listen to his wisdom. Now, if you want to listen to Daryl's wisdom, I would encourage you to check out his website. The title of his website is Just Thinking for Myself. I would also encourage you to follow him on Twitter. Now, these links are in this article here. A white guy and black guy talk about racial issues. And so you can get the link to Daryl's Twitter account and you can start following him. He has lots of good insight, wonderful information, and he will keep you informed. He really specializes on race and cultural issues. And with that in mind, you can also listen to his podcast, Daryl started a podcast uh, maybe a year or so after doing this interview with me. The title of his podcast is Just Thinking Podcast, very similar to his blog, Just Thinking for Myself. And so you can get the Just Thinking Podcast wherever podcasts are, like iTunes. And so you subscribe and you listen to Daryl on a weekly basis and you will be informed and encouraged if you want to talk to me and our team about anything that you've heard here in this three-part series with Daryl Harrison, if you want to talk about race relations, Washington Redskins, the Confederate flag, interracial marriage, whatever you'd like to talk about, along those lines, it would be great to uh, chat with you. All you have to do is go to our website, rickthomas.net. We have free community forums where anybody in the world who has access to the Internet can talk with us. Our team is ready, and we are waiting for you. We also have a private members forum. There are people who support our ministry, and quite frankly, that is how we make it all happen because of those who appreciate what we're doing and they support us. Well, you have a private forum. And you can go there and ask your question if you wish. Please read these show notes. Take the time to listen to part three and share this interview with Daryl Harrison with your friends.